We're going to finish up Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And welcome back, Sam and Nick. So we're looking forward to hearing more reports about how the missions trip went in Ethiopia. And if you get a chance, grab, grab Sam and, and pin him down and ask him about some of the details. I think you'll, you'll enjoy hearing about the trip. So we're going to continue to pray that that was a fruitful trip. And as you guys left part of yourselves in the Word of God there, that God would use that. So Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and, and 16. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in to our study this morning. Lord, thank you for this, for this portion of Scripture, for the revealed Word of God that helps us to understand. We hear Paul's prayer. Lord, may we hear it, and may you be exalted in our lives. May we, may we encourage one another in the Lord Jesus. And thank you for this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, her name was Hattie Green. And in 1916, Hattie died with $100 million in the bank. And yet she lived like a pauper. Meaning, she could have bought a home, but she rented a house where she lived. Hattie didn't want to spend the money and she ate cold oatmeal. In fact, when Hattie's son cut his leg, Hattie was looking for an emergency department that would treat him for free and she couldn't find that. And by the time they ended up finding the medical attention that the son needed, the leg needed to be amputated because of, because of infection. Hattie Green died in 1916 with $100 million in the bank and yet lived like a pauper. The Scottish Highlands widow, a poor old widow living in, in the Scottish Highlands, was called upon one day by a gentleman who had heard that she was in need. And the old lady complained of her condition and remarked that her son was living in Australia and doing very well. The man asked, does your son offer any help? He, he inquired and asked if, uh, if your son can offer any help. No, nothing, she replied. He writes me regularly once a month, but then he sends me this little picture with his letter. Well, the gentleman asked, can I take a look at this picture? And as the man further examined this little picture, it came to find out that it was actually a draft for 10 pounds, which translated about $100 in today's, in today's wealth. The the Skyland uh, or the Scotland Highland widow, she was misunderstanding what was being given to her by her son. And it was of no consequence to her until it was fully explained. And then she understood that this is actually money for you to use. It's a resource for you to use. It's wealth for you to use. I mean, these illustrations help us to understand 
what we've been talking about the last couple weeks, we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to just catch up where we left off and then move on to the third resource, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just kind of draw your attention where we've been. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and six, verse 15 to 23, we notice in verse 15 and 16, Paul has this prayer. Paul's praying. Paul's praying and he's asking God that as Christians, we would have a deeper understanding about the resources that we have in Jesus Christ. He wants them then to understand the resources they have in Christ so they'll walk worthy. And in fact, we've, we've talked about this Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5, it's very clear from verse 1 of chapter 4, verse 17 of chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 2, verse 8, and there's other references to walking worthy of our calling, to walk worthy of Christ. And so it's important, and Paul's making it really clear about the importance of, of having resources and understanding our resources so we may walk worthy of Christ. That has been stressed in this particular passage as we listen to Paul talking to the Ephesian Christians who live in a pagan culture. And so we've looked at the Spirit. And notice verse, uh, notice there in the text, um, verse 17 and 18, that we might have the Spirit. And we've talked about the Spirit who is the teacher, the illuminator, the comforter. And then last week we talked as well about the security of the believers, how we've been called with a, we've been called with an irrevocable calling. This calling cannot be taken away from us. We've talked about the inheritance that has been given to us by the good man, Jesus Christ. Every good man leaves an inheritance to his children, Proverbs 13 says. So we've been left with an inheritance. And then we, we stopped and we didn't cover the power that is directed towards us. And that's where we want to take off this morning and look at the power that is directed towards the believer as a resource. So, and then we'll conclude with the Savior, the resource that we have, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll notice that this morning. So look at the text, verse 19. We have, we, we have security. It's important for the Christian to understand the security that we possess in Christ. The calling, the inheritance and the power directed towards us. That is all part of the security that we have, the power that is directed towards us. Verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When you look at verse 19 and verse 20, you can't help but to see God the Father has this great power directed towards every believer, and it's that same power that's according to the power that he's working in Christ Jesus. It's that same power. And so let's talk about this a little bit, this eternal power that is directed towards us. I want to give you some thoughts here that will just stimulate your mind about the great power. Now keep in mind, please feel free if you have a question, if something's not clear, if you have a comment and would like to add something, please feel free to do that. We have mics around. Um, I have a mic right here. Craig has a mic. So please feel free to, uh, to, to slow me down and ask a question if you would like to do that. 
So let's talk about this. The definition of the word power here, this power that is directed towards the believer as a resource that we have in Jesus Christ, the power that is directed towards us, it's an, it's an intrinsic force. It's a power. It's a strength. It really is a violence. It's a might. Um, here's some concepts that we can understand in terms of the word power that's directed towards us. The biblical precept that helps us to understand this eternal power that we have and that work towards us and work towards every believer is um, what does it mean to have God's immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? So the word power here means dunamis. It's that word that we see in the English, dynamite. It's a transcendent power. It's an unparalleled or unequaled power. We can see that illustrated in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's the power when God spoke a word, his spoken word illustrates a power because he creates something out of nothing. And so we see here that illustrated. It's very hard, if you think about it, to comprehend God's power, but we can see what it looks like from Genesis 1 and 2. It's a force. It's a strength possessed by only the triune God. And we can see that in Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 21. It's a strength exclusively for the Christian. Notice verse 19 where it says towards us. It's a power directed towards us. And so <clears throat> it's, an, it's an energy illustrated throughout creation. I mean, Martin Luther was struck by lightning almost twice. Can you imagine if you're, uh, if you're going and you hear the sizzle of lightning? I mean, I remember one time when I was in elementary school, sixth grade, I was walking to school, pouring down rain, and as I hit the blacktop, heading towards the classrooms, I, I could see this major flash, and all I could, it was the flash, and I could hear something, and I gotta tell you, I just hightailed it as fast as I possibly could. But we, we see these, ex, we, uh, we see, um, we see this power uh, illustrated throughout creation. And um, we see it also illustrated in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So it's a power that does not originate from nature, but it's outside of nature and it works its way in. God's immeasurable, great divine power. Look at that verse 19. And it's benefiting you. And I specifically want to just slow down because it's that power that's directed towards every believer it benefits you. That is a resource that we as believers have available to us. It's towards you. A power illustrated by raising Jesus from the dead. And we're going to talk about the resource we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But sticking to this theme of the power, what does it mean to have the, God's immeasurable great power directed towards us? Well, let me just kind of finish up this part of it by saying this. It's a power that will regenerate or change a life. We're, we're told in Ephesians 2, verse 1, right after this section, chapter 2, verse 1, we're told that before we're in Christ, we're actually dead in Adam. Dead. Not able to function. We have no stimulus towards God. We have no passions towards God, no desire towards God. We're dead. And so... We have a power directed towards us that can change a life, that can regenerate a life. And that's why it's important to understand in context here the Holy Spirit's work 
to understand um, the security that we have in, as believers. And as we look here and understand the context of this, we have a great power that works towards us that will accomplish this calling, that will accomplish making sure we're part of the kingdom and receiving all of our inheritance. So it's a power that regenerates or changes a life. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that we're now new creations in Christ. We're new. We've not just been redone. We've actually been changed. Our desires and our passions and the things that we want are new. We want Christ. We want to hear Christ. So it's a power that will save a life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It is a power that will sanctify. It's a power that will actually set you apart. And just as importantly, it's a power that will work in your daily life. I had to do a routine blood test at Quest Diagnostic, and I've had to do this many, 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 many times. And every time, my doctor will say, Here's the, here is the, uh, the written order, but don't worry about the written order. I'm going to go ahead and send it over to Quest, and they'll know exactly what kind of blood test to do. And so last week I had to go in for the blood test, just assuming it's going to be like normal. I'll get there. They'll see what the doctor's orders are. And so I left the written forms at home. Had them right there. Could have grabbed them. But many, many, 100% of the time, it's always worked like this. So I get there, and I have a young lady, maybe 21 or 22, call me in. I sit down, and I start to prepare to get my blood drawn. And she says, can I have your work order? I don't see anything here in the computer. And I say to her, well, the doctor normally, well, he didn't. Well, and she just cutting me off every step of the way. And essentially, she kicks me to the curb. And I'm like, oh. and she just will not have any of the excuses. She won't have any way for me to work this out. I asked her, could I have my wife fax you these orders? They're right on my desk. Could I, could I, um, no, no, no. I said, could I? When I go home and I'll get the orders and come right back, can I, can I just have my place in line? Because when you work with Quest, the funny thing about it is you can't call them. You can't email them. There is no communication. It's all automated. You sign up and that's it. There is no communication. So I'm pleading with her. If I go get my orders and I come back, do I have to stand in line? And she was adamantly, yes, you're going to be right back at the back of the line. And I'm like, I said, could I talk to somebody other than you? Who would you like to talk to? There's only three people in the whole office. I go, well, someone other than you? <laughs> and so begrudgingly, I, I worked it where begrudgingly she went ahead and pouted off and got me another person. The other person came in. Completely a contrast, understood my dilemma and said to me, why don't you just, if it's okay, go home and grab your orders and come back and we'll have you come right in and we'll take care of you. I did that. It only took, I went home, I came back, all done. Well, on my way home, I was thinking to myself about these lessons that we've been, been going through. And it was just occurring to me, what I don't want to do with this young lady as impatient as she was with me and as hard as she was on me 
And it's essentially in my own mind, in my own experience, I could see, bummer, man, I've just been kicked to the curb. And there was a certain way in me that I wanted to respond to her. And I started thinking to myself, the Lord Jesus is giving me every resource available to be a light and to be a different kind of life to this lady, to this young lady. And so when I came back, and in fact, there were just parts of my old flesh kind of hanging on. After I got the test, I was thinking to myself, Lord, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow the resources that you're giving me. And, I, and, and I'm thinking of scripture and I'm thinking about not, not repaying an evil for an evil, not being sarcastic to her. I mean, I could have easily stuck my head in the door and said, hey, Peyton, thank you, with an attitude. And I just thought, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I just tried to stay low. I tried to stay humble. I tried to stay polite. I tried to stay. But I'm telling you, I'm doing that. And, and non-Christians can behave like that. But I wanted to do that for the glory of Christ. I wanted to do that because the Spirit of God lives in every believer. The Spirit of God does that. And so I have to cooperate when it comes to sanctification here. When it comes to sanctification, we have been set apart by God because this power that is directed towards us will set us apart by his miraculous power, but also he works in our daily life sovereignly to set us apart so we behave the right way. And we're responsible and in, and in fact very involved with this process. So when we think about the power of God towards us, it's a power that will not only sanctify a life and regenerate a life and save a life, it'll preserve a life. Romans chapter 8, it will preserve you. We've talked about this, the same thing as the eternal calling that we have and the eternal inheritance that we have. The power that is directed towards us, it's an energy, it's a power at work in every believer. In fact, Paul is saying the same thing in this prayer, verses 15 to 23 in this section. He says the same thing in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. He's saying the same thing. He words it a little bit differently, but if you notice... He's saying in chapter 3, verse 20 of Ephesians, according to the power that works within us. It's really if you compared and if you took the time to study those passages side by side, you will see major, major comparisons right there. So, when, it talks, when we talk about the resource of the security of believers, we're talking about the calling, the inheritance, and the power that works towards us in verse 19. So let's move on then. And we're going to look at the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just pause for a second. As we move into the Savior, Jesus Christ, I want to make sure it's really clear. Our first resource is the Spirit of God. The second resource that we have available to us is the security of the believers in this passage. The security of the believers, the calling, the inheritance, and, of course, the power that is towards us. You can see when you look at verse 15 to 23, you can see all the twists and turns there. It takes time to look at this and kind of maneuver through this to where we're hearing clarity from Paul talking to the Ephesian Christians and understanding it today. So let me just pause for a second and ask. Any questions? Any comments? Any thoughts? All right, let's look, at, let's look at this third resource that we have, the Savior, Jesus Christ, verses 19 to 23. Look at verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, 
according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And if you look at the, the uh, if you continue to look at the rest of the passage, you're going to hear this and, sh- and you'll see this passage that's going to illuminate, it's going to give us knowledge about him. And in fact, when you look at verse 17, you're going to notice that he, Paul's praying that we would have the spirit of God that would give us the, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And when we look at verses, when we look at verses 19 to 23, you're going to notice how Christ is illuminated here. Christ is, Christ the Savior is pointed to here. And so let's look at this together. We have a risen Savior. How does the Christian benefit from the resource, the Savior, Jesus Christ? I mean, isn't it interesting in our lives? You know, this is such an obvious, think about how obvious this point is. As Christians, we have Jesus as our resource. But isn't it just amazing to us how often we look at other resources? Like Hattie, Hattie Green, a million dollars, and yet live like a pauper. We have Jesus Christ as our resource. Look at the Highland widow. A widow, not thinking she has any resources available and her son's given her what accumulates to 100 pounds per month. Plenty for her to live off of. Plenty of resources available for her. So we're talking about Jesus being our resource. How often do we miss him as our resource? So we can take a moment and just kind of think about that in our own personal lives. So how does the Christian benefit from the resource, the Savior, Jesus Christ? Number one, he's the resurrection. Look at verse 20. So, so God is showing his, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us as Christians. And also it says he's showing that same immeasurable great power towards Jesus by raising him from the dead. And that's interesting. We see God the Father involved here. So we see here Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And what's most interesting too, and what we're left with as Christians when we reflect on the revelation of God, we see that the Father has raised Jesus from the dead. But I want to draw your attention to John chapter 11 verses 25 and 26, because not only does God the Father raise Jesus from the dead, listen to John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus himself says, I am. And we've talked about this from Exodus chapter three. Jesus says, I am. In fact, he has seven I am statements. And this is one of them where Jesus says, I am. And he's telling Martha, who's this poor woman who just lost her brother, her brother Lazarus just died. And the way the story goes is Jesus could have come. He's been healing the sick all over the place. And yet Jesus stays for a while where he was in the town where he was resting. Jesus stayed there purposefully. So sovereignly, Lazarus would die. And by the time then Jesus comes into this town, Martha meets him and is saying to him, Lord, my brother's died. And Jesus is slowing her down. And as Jesus is talking to her and encouraging her heart, this is what he says. I am the resurrection. That's what he says to her. 
I am the resurrection and the life. And this is what he says. He, whoever believes in me, though he die. So whoever believes in me, Jesus says, if you believe in Jesus and drop dead right now, Jesus says, even though you die, yet shall you live. You might die, yet you shall live. And then he says, and everyone who lives. So let's just say we're living. We keep going with life. We're living. Even though you live, Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And what he's referring to there is the, is the rapture. Even though we live, yet we shall never die. And then he says to her, do you believe this, Martha? So we see here that Jesus Christ is the resurrection. And we notice right here in this passage that not only does this power that works towards the believer work towards Christ, but we see Christ himself saying, I'm the resurrection. Tremendous truth. So how do we benefit from this resource of Jesus Christ, our Savior? He is our future hope. He is our future hope. So this morning, if you're here, maybe you're outside of Christ and he's pleading with you. Why would you not come to Christ? Why would you not bend your knee to Christ? Why would you continue to go and rely on your own resources, your own limited resources for eternity? Why would you do that? Why would you be so stubborn? Why? The calling today from Christ, from his revealed word, is to come to the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection. Well, let's go further. When we start to look at this passage and see Jesus, the Savior, as our resource, he's the resurrection. But also notice, seven, also notice uh, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 20. He's the Redeemer. If you notice verse 20b, he's the Redeemer. Not only did God raise him from the dead, but it's showing here that the Father seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. And really what is being talked about here, I mean, we could think about the authority of Christ when you think about that. The Father takes Christ and seats him at this place of authority. He seats him at this place of honor. And all that can be true. He's, he seats him right here and, um, and exalts Christ right next, right here at the right hand of the Father. But... Just as importantly, as, as, as true as all of, as, as truthful as all of that is, we see here that Christ is the Redeemer. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So we see here that he's the Redeemer. God the Father seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And we notice here in verse 7 of chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What is going on right here is Paul is saying, once Christ has accomplished the work on the cross, the Father saw that work and was so pleased with the completed, sufficient work of Christ that he now sits him at his right hand. Can you see that picture? He's the Redeemer. He's completed something. He's sufficiently completed it. He has, he has completed it, and it will benefit every believer 
God seated the Son at his right hand, verse 20b. The Father satisfied with the work of the Son, verse 20b. The Son's blood is sufficient to satisfy the Father. Christ, his redemptive work can be counted on. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews, he's talking, the book of Hebrews, the writer's talking to these Christians that they're making a confession of Christ, they're making a confession of being a Christian, but now they're going back to Judaism, they're going back to the law. And so there are defectors here. Even though they, with their mouth they say they're Christians, with their desires and their heart, they're showing themselves to be defectors, apostates. They're going backwards. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to make it really clear who Jesus Christ is. And listen to what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Christ Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to what he says about Jesus Christ. He upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for sins. Now catch this. This is Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews is talking about. After Jesus made purifications for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. And what I'm trying to point out really simply from the revelation of God is this. God the Father has sat him down because he completely sees the sufficient work of the Son. But Christ himself sits down making them equal. I, I was reading this, I was just astonished. What marvelous, marvelous truth. And what a wonderful resource that we have, the risen Savior and the Redeemer to count on. And so Christ's redemptive work can be counted on. There's other passages we can look at. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 and 13 says the same thing. He sat him down. And so we see here this tremendous, tremendous work of Christ. And we see this power directed towards Christ, but we also see the power of Christ that allows him, once he completes his work, to then sit down. And so the Savior's, the Savior's work can be counted on. And so the question is, are you counting on that redemptive work? Is that a motivation in your life? Is that a resource that you're counting on, Christian? Or if you're outside of Christ, could you see that you're so stubborn not to come? Are you so stubborn not to come to Christ and to see his resurrection and to see his redemptive work on your behalf? You should come. And if you don't come, the most fearful thing that you have in store for you is not your own guilt and not your own consequences, it's actually the wrath of God that is pointed towards you. All the more should you come. All the more you should come to a willing Savior who's saying, I have raised from the dead for you, and I am your redemption. I'm your substitute. So, what a great, what a great truth that we see here. Christ is our high priest. I mean, under this section... We can see here he's the redeemer. But when you look through Hebrews, in fact, uh, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 8, it says, now the point that the Hebrew writer is trying to make, the point is this, he's saying, 
We have a high priest, one who is, at, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. He's just, he's just relating to not only is he a redeemer, but he's a high priest. I mean, we can go on and on about this seating at the right hand. He's the redeemer. He's the high priest. He's the substitute. We could go on and on and on. It would be wonderful to go on and on and on. I know it warms my heart when you just hear, when you hear these kind of resources that we have available to us. So, so the verse confirms Jesus, his words. Listen to this. When you think about verse 20b in Ephesians chapter 1, here's, here's what Paul wants us to hear. Paul wants us to hear this verse confirming Jesus' own words in John chapter 19, verse 33, where Jesus says this. He's hanging on the cross, and he yells out, it's finished. That's what he wants every believer to hear. When God the Father looked and was satisfied, sat him at the right hand, and when Christ himself finished this work, he sat himself at the right hand of the Father, it is finished, but we can count on that. So, he's the resurrection, He's the redeemer. Number three, he's the ruler. He's the ruler. Our Savior, he exercises universal sovereignty. And you know what's interesting? Sometimes it might not appear that way. I've been recently kind of meditating and going through Hebrews chapter 11. That's the great hall of faith. When you look at all of these who pondered Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that that Moses... Moses counted the riches of Christ more valuable than any riches he could get from Pharaoh in Egypt. That says that in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's interesting when you, it's interesting when you look here and you see that God universally, he, he rules sovereignly. Now when you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you, and you see some of them being stoned and sawn in two and you see that animal carcasses are putting over, being put over them. You read this in chapter 11 of Hebrews and where they're being set outside the city gates and where dogs are coming and attacking them. You might think to yourself during that moment, you know, you, you might think to yourself as you're watching those faithful ones go through that kind of trial and persecution, persecution you might look and observe and think to yourself, is God sovereignly ruling with such cruelty there? Yes, he is. He's sovereignly ruling. He is the sovereign ruler. Look at verse 21. It says, far above, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. If you notice here, it's giving us this picture. Look at verse 22a. And he put all things under his feet. Just get this picture Paul's giving us. Christ is above everything, and everything is below his feet. What a wonderful picture that is. Christ is above, which means he's universally Lord. The Father has exalted the Son far above. And that word far above there means he's transcendent, he's supreme, he's unequaled, he's unrivaled, he's unchallenged. There's five descriptions here, if you notice in verse 21. There's five descriptions that show us how far above everything. In, in fact, these five descriptions help us to see that, that he's above earth, he's above heaven, he's even above hell. Look what it says here, rule. 
That just means that he holds the first place or the chief place. The Greek word there is, is arch, like you would see an arch. It just means he holds the first place. When it talks about his authority, he's, he's elevated in rank. When you look at the word power, every force or strength or stronghold, he's above every power. Dominion, it speaks about lordship. He holds complete universal lordship. He's above every name. We know this. Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. We know this. And in fact, look at verse 21b. He rules in both realms. Not just in this realm, but in the one to come. Everything that exists is under him. Verse 22a. And in fact, this is why, because he's accomplished all of this, this is why in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, we can see he's the second Adam. He rules in, sec- in such a way in the life of the believer, he is the second Adam. He has overcome, and the believer will prevail and have victory. And again, we hear John, John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, In me, you have overcome the world. In me, you have overcome the world. So he is the ruler that we can count on. He's the resurrection. He's the redeemer. He's the ruler. And then lastly, he's the head of the church. And if you notice here, verse 22b, and he gave him as the head over all things to the church. And in verse, that's verse 22b and verse 23, which is the body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we can see here that Jesus Christ, he is the head of the church. You know where the controversy lies? About the sixth century, people started making a push that the Catholic church and the Pope was the head. The Pope was the head. In fact, I just read this. Pope Francis declares himself, and and this is... This is the Catholic Church's view on the head of the church, that the Pope is the supreme pontiff. He is the supreme head of the church. Do you see where the controversy lies? The Bible right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, you cannot miss God's will, God's desire for every person to understand this. Jesus Christ is the head. He's the life of the church. It will not be shared with anyone. Do you see where the rub lies? I mean, why would people sit under a teaching that would say that the Pope is the supreme pontiff? Either they're just unknowing, either they don't want to know. Maybe they've been taught, but you can see the distortion here. And in fact, if you look here, Jesus Christ, he is the head. The Father has placed him as the head, the life of the church. And in verse 22b, the church basically is the called out ones. It's the ones that are called out, the ones that are are chosen, the ecclesia. The church is his body. And in fact, that's who we are. We're his body. There's many of us. And we're to function in his body. There are many of us, and yet we're one because of the head. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, you can look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can look at it at Romans chapter 12. He is the head that gives life. We are the body, the fingers, the toes, 
the mouths, the ears. We're his body. We function as his body. And so he completes and he brings completeness to his church. Look at the very end. Look at the very end of 23. It says here, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I loved doing this, these lessons. I have just tremendously enjoyed it. I've looked at this verse before, and I thought, okay, what does this mean? And I'm hoping to give you a snippet here of my readings and those things that I've looked at from reliable sources. What does this mean? It, it means here, what, what, is, what does it mean that he, the fullness of him who fills all in all? He completes and he brings completeness to his church. So what does he do for the church? What does he do for you, part of his body? How does the church benefit from him being the head? Let me just give you several thoughts here as we conclude. He fills it with life. If you're in Christ today, you're part of his body, and because he's the head, you actually have life. And the stress here and throughout Scripture is for us to function as his body. Are you functioning as part of the body? I know many times leaders get discouraged because they're trying to shepherd, and when they look, people are not functioning in the body. I mean, I've heard this for, from leaders for years and years and years. Where are people? People that confess to be Christ, why are we not functioning in the body? I don't know. I don't have that giftedness. I'm going to get off on a side tangent here, and I'm going to reframe myself, but... We need to be part of his body. You're important. Christ looks at you as part of his body. He values you as part of his body. And we need to respect that. So he fills it with life. He replenishes it with strength. He replenishes the body with strength. We need your strength and your participation. He feeds it with his body and blood. And not very long from now, this morning, we're going to take communion. He fills his body with his body and with his blood. And we get to remember that. We're going to take communion and remember his body and his blood because he's the head of the church. He causes it to be attractive. I was golfing last week, and I, w I, w I wish I had time to tell you the whole story. I had an older brother growing up, and I, and I just loved my older brother. And, and I was in junior high when he was in high school, and all of his friends. Well, God has done something really kind of strange and kind of fun for me. A lot of these people that I, as a kid, would look up to, I'm now friends with over circumstances and then moving to Vacaville. And so I got to golf with all these people, I, three of them actually, that were my brother's friends, but I'm the only Christian in the group. And as they're talking about all the things that they're talking about, I'm walking down the fairway and I was kind of chuckling because I'm remembering Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, memorizing things in my mind and just going over things about how God strengthens me and how God illuminates my mind with this Holy Spirit. And I'm looking for opportunities to be different than these guys. Isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting? I mean, for me, I wish I could go into more detail and kind of help you to see that picture. It was really fascinating. I felt attractive because Christ... And it was interesting. Um, yeah, it was just interesting circumstances. I, I was able to accomplish things there that, 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 that kind of, they were like, what? And it was just interesting. And I'm just telling you, 
It was Christ at work in me. He gives us a wisdom. He gives us revelation. He gives us a way about us. When we are close to him, he causes us to be attractive because he's the head and we're his body. He calms us with peace. How does he feel all in all? He brightens us with his holiness. He glorifies us with his glory. The church learns to, st- to sing out. Listen to this, just like the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. He's the head, we're his body, and the body learns to sing out, my beloved is mine, and I am his. What is his is mine. I am who I am because of Christ. What a beautiful picture of Christ as the head and we as his people. Well, just reflecting back as we're kind of finishing up here, there was a man who tried to exist in Patagonia, South America. He tried to stay out there. He was dropped off, and he wanted to see how long he could survive out there. And as he was out in Patagonia, he built his own He built his own shelter, and he tried to stay occupied throughout the day, doing his daily chores and functioning. He caught fish. He smoked them. He caught fish. He dried them out. He smoked them. And the interesting thing, after 90 days, when he had to call for help, when help arrived, the amazing, the amazing thing, we talked about this illustration before, but I thought I would conclude with it. The amazing, the amazing thing about his adventure, 90 days in the wilderness of Patagonia, surviving there. The amazing thing when his, when his rescuers came and found him suffering from malnutrition, his body was eating itself. He was dying from malnutrition. When you saw him, he was a twig. It took him months and months and months to become nurtured again and to become normal and healthy again. And what was amazing about this man's adventure when they, the rescuers came into his hut to rescue him, laying next to him was 30 dried fish that had been smoked. He caught them, he smoked them, he dried them. 30 of them sitting there. And for some reason, he couldn't bring himself to eating that. That's amazing. I do not. And I know you don't want to be that person that has those resources right there and yet you're not taking advantage of it. So we've learned. We've learned our resources, the Holy Spirit of God, the security of the believers, and we've learned here the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's feast on him. So let me pray for us, and we'll we'll move to worship. Lord, I'm just grateful, God. Thank you for allowing me to teach this Sunday school. I just pray it's been edifying, and I pray that Christ has been exalted. May we have many, many more times like this, Lord, where we just feast on your word, and we're thankful for Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's it's in his name we pray. Amen.